Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. The book of Psalms, chapter 90. Today, we're going to talk about death and dying. Woohoo! We're talking about death and dying today. Um, we're going to talk about uh, death wisdom today as it comes out of Psalm, chapter 90. We're in a series looking uh, at the Psalms in the series, uh, uh, season of Lent. Uh, for uh, thousands of years, the church has taken this time uh, before Easter, a 40-day period, to pause, to focus, to prepare, to repent, to fast, uh, in preparation for the coming resurrection that we find an encounter on Easter. And we've been looking through the Psalms uh, for our source of, of um, encouragement, a source of direction during our season of Lent a couple of weeks ago. I began by talking about a psalm of lament. Last week, Pete talked about a psalm of repentance. Today, we're going to really talk about a psalm of mortality, out of which wisdom emerges. And so Psalm chapter 90, when you get there, hold on to your place. Let's go to God. Let's invite him to speak to us as we enter into this passage of scripture today. So Lord, thank you for uh, your presence in this place, uh, that you make us brave, And Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to face uh, this passage, to encounter you in this passage. And Lord, out of the truth, out of Psalm 90, may you speak to us, may you change us. Uh, May we walk out different than the way we walked in. We offer this time to you, it's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Uh, There is a unique wisdom that is available to us through the reflections of the dying. Uh, This is what a woman named Bronnie Ware discovered. Uh, Bronnie Ware is a woman that spent many years tending to the needs of the dying and hospice care. And in her line of work, her life was transformed. She actually wrote a blog about it called uh, The the Top Five Regrets of the Dying, and actually uh, turned into a book. And the article gained so much momentum in the first year, over three million people rapidly around the globe began to read this article. And what we see in the article and in her book is what's called death wisdom. And it's probably the most important kind of wisdom that is available to us because as people are in their last moments of their lives, they begin to think about what could they have done differently. And there is a clarity of vision that is present. And their wisdom is for the purpose of of us that are living to live differently in the world. And so briefly, I want to just go over these top five regrets of the dying because I find them to be instructive. And also, uh, interestingly enough, they sound a lot like uh, emotionally healthy spirituality. The first regret of the dying was this here. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And she said this was the most common regret of all folks that were dying. The second regret was this, I I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And this came from every male patient that she nursed. Uh, And she said all of the men and even women uh, deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. The third regret that people had was I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. That many people suppressed feelings in order to keep peace with others and settled for a mediocre existence. And what she said was that many people developed illnesses relating to bitterness and resentment that they carried as a result. The fourth regret that they had was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. That many had got caught up in their own lives 
that they let friendship slip through the years, and there were deep regrets about not cultivating the kind of friendships that they once had. And finally, she said that the top, the, the fifth regret that people had was, I wish I had let myself be happier. That fear of change and, and pretending to others had led them to believe that they were content when deep down inside they really were not content. They longed to laugh. They longed to have a silliness in their lives again. Now, these are all powerful reflections of death wisdom. And in our text today, we come across another kind of death wisdom. And this death wisdom comes from Moses. As Moses is in his 120th year, he writes this psalm. And through this psalm, God wants to fill us with wisdom. And this is God's invitation for all of us in this room. Whether you're a high school student, God has wisdom for you. If you're a college student, God has wisdom. You don't have to wait till you're 60 and 70 to get wisdom. There is wisdom for you right now. If you're a young professional, God has wisdom for you. If you're middle-aged, if you're retired, if you're a great-grandparent, there is a wisdom that is available to us in this passage out of Psalm chapter 90. And very interestingly enough, Psalm 90 is uh, next to Psalm 90. It will only have a Psalm 23 as the most oft-quoted psalms at funerals and at gravesides. And so we don't have to wait to at a funeral or a graveside to hear the wisdom that Moses has for us today. Psalm chapter 90, beginning of verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And then here is the the culmination of these 11 verses in one verse that Moses comes to. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As we've been teaching, the book of Psalms is important for our spiritual formation. The book of Psalms is the prayer book for the people of God. It's the worship book. It's the song book for the people of God. And during this season of Lent, uh, the Psalms uh, is a great place for us to focus on. Now, we've been talking about different kinds of psalms, psalms of lament and psalms of repentance and psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of praise. And then there are wisdom psalms, which we're going to focus on today, wisdom psalms. And wisdom psalms like the book of Proverbs teach us how to live skillfully in the world. And the psalm we just read is perhaps the most important wisdom psalm. It's actually the oldest psalm that was written because it was Moses that wrote it. And so Moses is giving advice for generations that are to come. And he begins by talking about God's eternal reality. Moses begins by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all. All generations. And I love that the psalm begins that way. 
Because if anyone knew what it was like to live a transient life, to live a wandering life, to live a life without a dwelling place, it was Moses. Moses consistently was journeying, consistently was wandering, consistently lived a transient life. And yet through all his all wandering, throughout not having a place to call home for most times, God, Moses understood that although he was always on the move, God had been his dwelling place. And I love that because Moses understood in spite of the uncertainty of life, In spite of the transient nature of life, God is our dwelling place. My life remains uncertain, but what remains certain is this. God is our dwelling place. God remains certain. God remains stable. God remains consistent. God remains constant. Our true home is found in God. And so Moses begins, and he begins to talk about God's eternal reality. And he begins to say words like this. God is our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A thousand years are are like yesterday to you. Uh, It's like a watch in the night. And Moses says all of this because he's looking to make an important contrast. Moses is setting up these these first 11 verses, all of these things here, because he wants to set into motion an important juxtaposition. He gives metaphors of who God is so that he can properly let us know who we are. And while God is all of these things on the screen there, human beings, on the other hand, are not. Human beings, he says, are those that turn back to dust at a single word from God. We are like a dream in the night that comes and then it goes. We perk up uh, like grass by the morning dew, but we fade and wither before evening. We have a lifespan of 70, maybe 80 years, he says, if we are strong. And, and here's the simple truth that Moses is getting at. Moses is speaking about God's eternal and stable reality and also about our limited and our finite reality. And this is important that we get this juxtaposition in place here. Uh, Recently, I've been rereading Richard Rohr's book, a a great book called Adam's Return, in which he writes about the five promises of of male initiation. And essentially, he gets to the core of what it means to be a man, which in our culture is a very confusing thing because of all the messages that we receive. And and while this book is targeted at at male spirituality, uh, really it applies to uh, um, female spirituality as well. And he gets five promises of, of life. He says that we need to embrace so that we will live with a deep spirituality, connected to God, connected to the world, connected to ourselves. And he says, these are the five messages that it's important that we live to have a deep spirituality. The first is this, life is hard. Some of you just like, amen, yeah, 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 yeah. The second is this, you're not important. Some of you are like, who are you talking about, what you're talking about? He says, you're not important. This is important for our spiritual depth and health. He says this, your life is not about you. That's the third important thing to recognize, truth. Then he says, you are not in control. And finally, you're going to die, okay? <laughs> uh, so, very encouraging. I know that. Oh. Now, the last line here is something that we don't want to talk about. We don't like to hear that we are going to die. But Lent is uh, the time of the year to confront this reality to face our fears because we remain a fearful and a superstitious people as it pertains to dying. Some people don't like to talk about death because they believe it's bad luck. 
I've met people that don't want to put a will together because they believe it'll accelerate their death. If I put this thing together, that probably means I'm going to die in about two weeks. I'll, I'll wait a little while before I put that together. We don't like talking about death. But one of the reasons we uh, begin Lent with Ash Wednesday, and one of the reasons we celebrate Lent on the church calendar is because it serves as a great reminder. The reminder is this, we are made from dust. And to dust we shall return. Now some of you are probably looking for something a little bit more hopeful, but keep listening because I believe this is a very hopeful message. In our culture, the truth of Psalm 90 is very difficult for us because we live in a culture that spends billions of dollars trying to deny aging and death. We do anything to ward off old age. From tummy tucks to plastic surgery to hair dyes, we have it all in place. And, and listen, I, some of that stuff is really important. I get it. It's just the truth of our reality that we do everything we can to fend off old age. We keep busy with ourselves. Oh, we, we, even though we're overwhelmed with life, we don't have any time to reflect. If someone dies, we continue to remain busy. We do everything we can to ward it off, to keep it at bay. But Moses, I love this. Moses is not intimidated by death or mortality. Moses has a good theology of death. And so I want you to notice the, the flow of Moses in this passage. Because he begins with God's everlasting, stable, consistent character. And then he moves to us and focuses on our mortality. And in light of God's immortal nature, and in light of our mortality, Moses offers a prayer. And, and this prayer is to be our prayer. And it's one of the best prayers we have in all of the scriptures. Moses says, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. This here is one of the most important prayers in all of the Bible, and I want to break it down a little bit because there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about this passage here. When Moses says, number your days, he isn't saying, first of all, to bring out the calendar. Moses said, bring, bring out the calendar. How many days have you lived? How many days do you have left? How many, how many do you think you have left? I, that's not really what Moses is talking about. When Moses says, uh, teach us to number our days, he's not saying, listen, life is short. Live it up. Do whatever you want. Life is short. Although there might be some kind of you know, maximizing life. You only live once. All of that stuff there. I don't believe that's what Moses is getting at. What Moses is getting at is something I believe that's profoundly deeper than that. Profoundly more human than that. Moses is saying, Lord, teach us to confront our weaknesses. Teach us to confront our frailty. Teach us to confront our fragility. Teach us to confront our mortality. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, may we live fully embracing our mortality. May we live fully embracing our limits. May we, may we live fully embracing our weaknesses and full understanding of who you are. And Moses says, when we begin to do this, we open ourselves to a life of wisdom. We open ourselves to a heart of wisdom. When we recognize our finitude, we open ourselves to wisdom. And so here's what Moses is doing. Moses wants us to have an appropriate assessment of ourselves. And when we have an appropriate assessment of ourselves and an appropriate assessment of God, we position ourselves to receive a heart of wisdom. And so and instead of numbering our days, which is, again, to confront our weakness and our mortality, we live in a different way. And this is what Moses is getting at. Instead of numbering our days, we tend to live as if we were God. 
And the 11 verses of Psalm 90 is Moses trying to let us all know very clearly, you are not God. And so the reason we need this wisdom psalm is because this, the faster we recognize that we are not God, the wiser we will be. The faster we recognize that we are not God, the wiser we will be. This is why John the Baptist is one of my favorite uh, people in all the scriptures. Because at one point, as he's beginning his ministry, the religious leaders are interrogating him. Dark room, light in front of his eyes. Are you the Messiah? Who are you? And John goes, no, I am not the Messiah. He knew exactly, I am not God. I know my limits. I am not the Messiah. John understood from the very beginning, I am not him. And, And from time to time, we just need to confess that that we are not good. Actually, let's, let's practice this together. It'll help us. It'll help your spiritual formation today. Let's all say this together. There is a God, and I am not him. One more time. There is a God, and I am not him. Now look at your neighbor and say, there is a God, and you are not him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just, just dust that stuff off of you. You're not God. And thank God the person next to you is not God either. It's just like, thank God you are not God. Now, believe it or not, we might confess that. But I believe indirectly and subconsciously, we act as if we're God. Now, on the one hand, there are legitimate reasons for doing this. Jesus says in the Gospels that we are to be holy for your heavenly Father is holy. Be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. Be mature because your heavenly Father is mature. And so in some respect, we are to be like God. But there is a line that we cross. This is what Moses is getting at. And so for the rest of our time, what I want to do is I want to show on two ways that we act like God that keeps us from gaining a heart of wisdom. Two ways that we act like God that keeps us from gaining a heart of wisdom. The first thing is this. When we do this, we cut ourselves off from God's wisdom. When we deny our weakness, we cut ourselves off from God's wisdom. And so listen, Moses says he he wants to let us know we're weak. We're frail. We are fragile. The metaphor he gives, he says, you're like dust. There's no strength in dust. You, you are like dust. We have limits. That's what humanity is. And yet something inside of us rebels against this. Come on. Who, no one wants to be weak. No one wants to be. You, you, you don't want to. You know what? You're, you're like dust. No, no one wants to be called dust. We want to be strong. We want to be independent. We, want, we don't want to have limits. But Moses is saying this, the sooner you realize that you are weak, the sooner your heart will gain wisdom. The sooner you realize you are fragile, that teach us the number of our days, the sooner you will gain a heart of wisdom. Listen, because in God's economy, to be weak is to be strong. That's where wisdom comes. In God's economy, to be open to receiving help is to be strong. In God's economy, to confess that we don't have all the answers is to be strong. And so whenever we deny weakness, we cut ourselves off from God's wisdom. Now, I have to confess, I have a problem 
embracing weakness. Just like you do, I have a problem embracing. I'd rather live independent. I'd rather live self-sufficient. And some of you, you grew up like that. You grew up in homes that you had no choice but to be independent. There's so much chaos in the home that you realize, I have to be independent. I have to be self-sufficient. And so uh, we, we have received a narrative that said, you better be strong. You better be independent. You better take care of yourselves. But Lent reminds us that the way to true wisdom is to embrace our weakness, to admit from time to time, I need help, to admit from time to time, I have needs, to admit from time to time, I need some nurturing, to admit from time to time, I need community, to admit from time to time, I don't have the answers. And Moses says, when we begin to embrace our weakness, we open ourselves up to God's wisdom. And so the pathway to wisdom is to confess, I'm weak. And Moses is saying, teach us a number of days. Teach us to, to remember that we are weak, fragile dust. You know, I think Jesus was onto something when Jesus said that to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. Because one of the defining characteristics of small children is weakness. And Jesus says, if you want to enter into the kingdom, if you want to live according to my way, you have to become like a child. And children are weak. Children are vulnerable. This is what I love with Jean Vanier. He says, Jean Vanier, he, he, he's uh, established communities around the world for folks that are immensely disabled and has uh, created beautiful communities out of that. This is what he says about weakness. He says, each one of us, finds it enormously difficult to accept himself or herself as he is with that extraordinary mixture of weakness and strength, ignorance and wisdom, light and darkness, love and hate. In fact, we flee from something that I'd call our vulnerability, our immense fragility. We often try to flee from our sufferings. We don't want to look at them squarely. Each one of us tries to run away from his weaknesses, his ignorance. We live in a world where everyone wants to appear to be like this or that, to seem strong, intelligent, powerful, up and coming. This is the wisdom of the world. And Moses says there is a wisdom that's available to you, a wisdom that the world knows nothing of, a wisdom that is foolishness to the world. And once we begin to embrace, we are like dust. We need help. We need support. We need community. Ah, now we open our hearts to a life of wisdom. And so to, uh, to embrace our weakness opens us up to a heart of wisdom. The other way, though, that we act as if we are God, that cuts us off, from God's wisdom is this. We resist endings. We resist endings. Now Moses lets us know time is passing by. Moses lets us know things come to an end. And many times things come to an end faster than we can imagine. Every Thursday on social media is Throwback Thursday. Uh, hashtag TBT, y'all know what I'm talking about. And um, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, inevitably someone posts a picture, some family member of mine, or I myself do it, 
post a, a throwback picture, uh, or I post one. And on some occasions, these, these photos are hard to look at because in many of my throwback pictures, I have a lot of hair. <laughs> I have a lot of hair. And so this is me as a 17-year-old, just got my license. Look at the curls flowing. Look at, you see the curls? You see the curls? You see the curls? Put the gel in there, flowing. I'm driving, window down, just, just blowing, just, just, just blowing there. And so I look at that, I go, oh, look at that. Nine years ago, Rosie and I got married there, and, and she looks wonderful, but look at my hair. But look at my hair. You see that? Dark. Thick, strong, you know, just, 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 just there, just there. And so inevitably, every Thursday, I look and I go, I look at a picture, I go, oh, Rosie, look at my hair. Look at it. Strong, dark, looking nice. And then inevitably, after every throwback Thursday, someone posts a picture, I post a picture, I, I go out and Google, I start Googling Rogaine. I, I, I kid you not, I start Googling, I start, uh, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm, I'm making a, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. You know, I'm, I'm, I am going to let the world know I'm coming back. And Rosie goes, no, no, it, it, it's over. That day's over. It's come to an end. There's a new reality. No more. That's it. It's gone. And it keeps going. It's it. That's it. No more. It's it. And, and I have a hard time embracing endings. <laughs> And you have a hard time embracing endings. And Moses knows this. Moses knows that things don't always stay the same. Things in life come to an end. Jobs end. Relationships end. Children move out of the house. That ends. Our health fails. The people we love die. And in moments like this, we can be filled with so much despair. And so death is something we rarely confront. We fear it. We don't confront it. But listen, because of Christ, listen to this, Christ has already confronted death and overcame death. And because he has confronted death, we can confront death. Because as Paul says, where death is your sting, grave, where is your victory? Christ has already confronted death, and because we have the Spirit of Christ inside of us, we can confront the things that end as well, not with despair, but with great hope that God is up to something new. And so I can confront death because death has already been confronted in Christ, and death has already been defeated in Christ. I can confront when things come to an end, and I go, I, I thought this thing was going to last forever, and this thing did not last forever, and I can uh, confront the thing that came to an end because Christ has already confronted endings, and the final endings, and new life has emerged out of it. Now, some of you, you things have ended in your life, or they are in the process of ending, and you can see it. You can't see yourself going on without that relationship. You can't see yourself going on without that job. You can't see yourself going on without this or without that. But here's the miracle of Lent. God takes all of our deaths, our big death and our little death, and he promises to bring new life out of it. And so listen, everyone, we have to take heart. Because out of loss, out of pain, out of death, out of disorientation, God is birthing new life. And so it's like Moses is saying, if you live this way, that is, if you live weak, if you live embracing change, 
If you live confronting your mortality, if you do all of these things, there is a wisdom that is available to you. But here's what we have to understand. The wisdom that is available to you is the wisdom the world knows nothing of. The wisdom of the world is to be strong. The wisdom of the world is to be in control. The wisdom of the world is to transcend death and to defy death. But the wisdom of God is a different kind of wisdom. It's a wisdom that is counterculture. It is an unconventional wisdom. It is a wisdom that is foolishness to the world. And so when we embrace this kind of wisdom, God's resurrection power is at work in our lives. And that's the kind of wisdom I want. I want the kind of wisdom that opens me up to God's power. I want the kind of wisdom that opens me up to God's wisdom and power and strength and resurrection. That's the kind of wisdom that I want. That's the kind of wisdom I believe that you want. And so listen, in the, in the eyes of God, it's wise to be weak. In the eyes of God, it's wise to not be in control. In the eyes of God, it's wise to em embrace and to confront our mortality and the endings of life because it is out of the endings of life that God's strength, that God's wisdom, that God's hope because apparent in our lives. We can confront these things ultimately, our weakness, our death, our mortality, when things end in our life. We can confront these things because Moses says at the beginning, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You might be weak today, but God is strong. Things might have come to an end, but new beginnings are coming. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And everyone said, amen. I want to invite the worship team to come forward as we prepare to take communion. And the way that the church confronts weakness is different than the world does. When we say I'm weak, we're saying I need. I need community. I need people. I need support. I'm tired of living self-sufficient. This is why repentance and confession during the season of Lent is so important. You're basically saying, I confess, I don't have what it takes within myself. I need help. And I confront my mortality, and not just my ultimate mortality. I confront the little deaths that come my way in hope that God, out of deaths, ultimately brings new life and resurrection. And so when we come to the table of communion, when we take bread and dip it in the cup, we are reminded, this is the message of the Christian life, we are reminded that out of the worst day in human history, a new world began, a new world was birthed. So when we take bread, representing Jesus' broken body, when we take the cup, representing his poured out blood for you, we realize this was the worst day in human history. And yet at the same time, it was the best day in human history. And God wants us to have that same kind of spirit as we think about our worst days. That even in your worst day, God is birthing new life. And so I want, let's all stand together. And I want to invite folks to come to uh, the table who are going to be offering the bread and the cup. And in the balcony there, just find, follow the direction of the ushers and down here as well. 
And I want to invite you just to take bread as it's offered to you. As we say, this is the, the body of Christ broken for you. Not in some kind of vague, a nebulous kind of way. Very specific. For you. Jesus' body broken for you. His blood shed for you. Very specifically. And as you take bread and dip it in the cup, go back to your seat and hold that element. Hold that bread in your hand. And maybe you want to think about the things in your life right now that are, uh, have come to an end. Or maybe the things that are coming, you sense something's coming to an end here. And may you in great hope hold on to the bread that's been dipped in the cup. And hold on to the hope that even out of your worst days, God is bringing about new life. You might not be able to see it. You can't calculate it. You can't figure it out. That's not our job to do. Our job is to wait in hope and wait in faith that out of death, new life emerges. And so, Lord, we come to the table today. Wow, we are, we are amazed at your power. That when we embrace our weakness, as Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When we confront our mortality, the things that end in our lives, somehow we open ourselves up to a wisdom that the world knows nothing of. So Lord, as we come to the table, as we take bread, as we dip it in a cup, may we, remind, may we be reminded that you are at work right now in the darkest, worst situations of our lives. In our confusion, somehow you are at work at resurrection is coming. And so we come uh, to the table of grace, not in our name, but in your name. Not in our works, but in your works. Not in our righteousness, but in your righteousness. We come in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Come forward. The best news in the world. He's alive. He is alive. And because he is alive, we too can be alive as well. In spite of our weakness, in spite of our failures, in spite of our, the endings that come uh, to us. I want to give us a moment of just repentance before God. Just you and God, just repenting, offering um, your weakness. And when we repent, as we learned about last week, we're asking for new desires, as Pete taught us. Essentially saying, Lord, I repent for all the ways that I have lived in my own strength, trying to be self-sufficient, trying to be independent. I repent of that. Lord, I repent of all the ways that I have tried to hold on to endings that you wanted to end. There's certain things in our lives that God's saying, let it go, I have something for you. I have something for you. No, no, I refuse to let this thing go. And because it's our fear, we're saying, well, God, are you really gonna look out for me if I let this thing go? God's saying, I, I, I got you. I'll take care of you. And so I want to just give us a moment of just quiet repentance before God, and then we'll pray this prayer of confession that Pete gave us last week to pray together. But right where you're at, you might just want to close your eyes and uh, offer your repentance before God.
together, let's pray this prayer of confession together as a family. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's all take together. Amen. I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. Uh, and as we close our service, we end every time with prayer for, to receive prayer. Because when we come up for prayer, this is what we're essentially saying. We're saying, I'm weak. When you ask someone to pray for you, you're saying, I'm weak. And when you do that, God says, you open yourself up to wisdom to a wisdom the world knows nothing of. And so we have our prayer team here. Maybe there's something in your life right now uh, that's uh, bothering you, something that you can't shake, something that's really impacting you and you just need to say, I'm weak. Pray for me, pray with me. You can come forward to receive prayer. If you're not a Christian today, maybe someone's invited you, but you never crossed the line to say, I want to follow Jesus. I wanna be a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow him in his ways, in his love, in his wisdom. If you've never done that, today is your day for new life to come. And if you'd like to do that, if, you're, if you, maybe you've been thinking about it, but you've never said, I want to mark this day by saying today, I want to become a follower of Jesus. You can come forward as well. We would love to pray with you and pray for you and give you whatever uh, resources you need to get you on your journey. For whatever needs you have, you can come up to receive prayer and we will pray for you as long as we need to. As we close, I wanna invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And even in our posture of how we end our services, what we're saying is, I'm weak. I need, I need your blessing, God. I need your power, I need your strength. And so this, this, is, this is a very vulnerable position to say, I don't have it, but I know you do. And yet this is the posture of our lives. This is how we are to live. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And as you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that this week you would embrace your weakness you would embrace the truth that you are not sufficient, that only God is sufficient. May you embrace endings that are coming your way in the full hope that God has something else for you, something good and something beautiful. May you walk out of here trusting in Jesus. May you walk out of here embracing every good gift that he has for you. 
And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everybody.